Good morning and welcome to episode 70 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. I am so glad you've joined me today. I have to apologize. It's been a while since I've posted. I have been helping a family member recover from surgery. And don't you just love it when your boss keeps calling you and asking if you'll come back from vacation early? (laughs) And you want to go, let's define vacation. (laughs) But anyway, all is going well, so I can't complain. And thank you to the patrons who've sent thoughts and sent prayers, and I appreciate every single one of them. You guys are so kind. And speaking of Patreon, for the listeners who are over there, last night I posted some videos on Queen Castles and using those. It's pretty funny because I'm not good at video, and you'll see just how choppy and unedited it is, but I just wanted to show you some little things that were going on with the Queen Castles and little tidbits of what to watch out for when you buy them and use them and that type of thing. So thank you to every Patreon over at patreon.com slash fiveapple. Today will probably be the most uh, raw and unedited show you've had in a long time because I just want to run through this because there's a lot of good questions that have come in that I would like to attempt to answer. And then also I'll tell you a little bit about what's been going on in the bee yard. And I'll start there. So we are getting toward, sadly, getting toward the end of our flow. And it feels like we almost didn't have one, at least up where I am in the Blue Ridge. It has been the most unusual, short, and brief flow. One of the first things that I can tell my bees that a flow has finished is that they appear on the white clover in the yard. We have quite a bit of white clover just spread out in the yard. I'd like to have more. I'd like to plant more. That seems to be kind of the rice and beans or the ramen noodles for the bees. When I see them on the clover, I know that there's not anything more tasty out there in the world for them. And I begin to start watching out for how their feed stores are doing. And then also, because I do have a lot of small uh, nukes and mating nukes going on, I really have to start being careful about robbing. And I've already seen some of that in my yard. One of the first signs is, and it's always such a bummer to see, is when I begin to open hives in the bee in the main bee yard and robbers start coming around, the bees in the box start popping up to address the robbers, and then even after I've closed the hives, there seems to be a lot of activity, bees sniffing around the seams of other hives. This is something I watch for. If you see bees flying around sniffing all the seams on the back and the sides and the top of a hive, those are not likely to be bees from that hive. Those are potential robber bees looking for ways in. So I try to limit the entrances to the hive to something that the bees will not have to stress out to defend themselves. There's also a lot of wasps going on. I see them out in the bee yard. And basically, as I've said many times, I just feel like the less the bees have to stress and strain to defend their hive, the more time they have to raise brood, to collect honey, to do all their all their chores when they're not being attacked from the outside. So one of the things I do if I have an upper entrance, once the flow is done, uh, sometimes I'll take the bee hardware cloth, that's the number eight hardware cloth, and just put a tiny bit over that uh, upper entrance so that the air can still exit. So I, you still have a vent out the top, which I like to have that airflow. It helps them dry the honey faster, um, but it has the wire over it so they don't have to worry about anything actually coming in that entrance. On their front entrance, I try to limit the size of it to match 
the population of the hive. If it is just one of those enormous giant hives, I might not reduce it um, because, you know, there's so many Bubba's <laughs> out there on the front porch that they're not going to have any trouble fending things off. Um, but at the same time, I, again, I don't want them troubled too much. So I might adjust the entrances. Number eight, uh, hardware cloth, which you just get a roll of it and keep it in your shop because you're going to, you can use that stuff for a million things. But sometimes I'll just make an L-shaped uh, piece of that and use it as an entrance reducer. And that way, if you happen to have a solid bottom board on that hive, then you're not blocking any of the uh, airflow coming in. If you have a screen bottom board, then that's less important. And you can reduce the entrance with whatever you happen to have around. I've seen them reduced with uh, with bricks. I've seen them, you know, just set a brick on the bottom board to reduce the entrance. I've seen, a, you know, just a piece of two by four set there to reduce the entrance to whatever size you need for the population of that hive. Now, I have this special condition of having these little nukes and tiny mating nukes around. Um, it is really a no-no to have, well, I mean, what what is a no-no in beekeeping? It's, it's whatever works for you and sometimes, but the traditional advice is to not have mating nukes in the same yard or the same property um, as your your big honey hives. And I, I try to not do that, but it, I always end up having a hive that's just growing so big in my home yard where I, I do the, all the queen stuff that I'm like, oh, maybe I can get some honey out of that one. And I let it grow big. And yeah, I'll probably pay for that. <laughs> in times, and in fact, let me just confess, I've already paid for that. I uh, had one mating nuke a queen castle with multiple, um, I had put cells that I'd harvested after a cut down split. And it was so weird. I did this cut down split, which I'll tell you about in a minute. And I harvested, um, you know, each, each compartment of the queen castle. I put a frame that had at least one good queen cell and then maybe another frame of bees in there. Now, remember my frames are little, they're midi mediums, but in one queen castle that I set up that way, um, the compartments got robbed out. I mean, I think what may have happened is they, they, they got attacked some and the little bees in the mating nukes, they don't have a chance and they, and there were no dead bees in there. So it might be a case that they just, I put them in the queen castle and there weren't enough nurse bees on those frames to stick with the frame that had the queen cell on it. And this is something this time of year I have noticed at other times of the year, particularly earlier in the season. If you take frames out that are covered with bees and you maybe you have a good looking swarm cell on there and you move them to another nuke and of course you're going to have to feed them and take care of them because they, they will lose their flying bees. But you'll open them up the next day and nearly all those bees will still be there because there was a large population of nurse bees. And I also try to, for the staff frame, I always try to pull out a frame of emerging capped brood. That's ideal if I can find one easily. But you'll open it up the next day and there'll be nearly the same number of bees in there. But this time of year, you can do that same trick. The next day you open it up and there are hardly any bees in there. Um, and the little, <laughs> the poor little nurse bees are emerging on that frame going, hey, where'd everybody go? And that's really a recipe for, you know, not a good queen return because they need that entourage to take care of them. And I don't know what all the, what all they do, but it obviously makes a huge difference. And to, that they have a good population in the mating new. So this one queen castle, every the all three compartments were a bust. Um, they had obviously, I don't know, well, not so obviously, but they had either left or got run off. There weren't a lot of dead bees, so I'm guessing they absconded. And then once they were gone, the frames that I put in there to feed them got robbed out. But then literally 12 foot away, I had another queen castle from this exact same cut down, and I had put 
the exact same con- the exact same combination of frames in there, and they're fine. In fact, I that's what the little video on Patreon was of. Um, that was a four frame queen castle, and I got three mated returned queens, two of which are really good looking out of that queen castle, and it was. Um, but anyway, none of those got robbed out. Uh, so I don't know what the difference was in that 12 foot of space of um, it's just one of the many puzzles that you will encounter for the rest of your beekeeping career. <laughs> That's how I feel. It's like there is a different puzzle every season, virtually every day. So in my yard, there's a lot of hives that I have not had to worry too much about mite counts, let me explain, because they are either splits, they have gone through a full brood break, um, and they're small, maybe I've divided them up into nukes, or there's lots of reasons with these very small hives that I happen to know have had a full brood break. They're not at the top of my list to do mite counts. Who is at the top of my list to do mite counts, and really just to go ahead and do a brood break if I haven't already, if I've done almost everybody, um, would be the ones that have essentially a 2019 queen they started off in the spring, they've built up, they're these big giant hives, and they're my honey production hives. The more bees that are in a hive, the more mites you're going to have. And so those are, are the top in line for the mite counts of this time of year. And I will let you know how that goes. Um, there's a million videos on YouTube about how to do a mite count. It seems really hard, but once you get out there and you start rolling with it, then it becomes like any other technique of beekeeping. And I really encourage you to do that, even if even if you're using non-chemical ways of controlling your mites, the only way you can know to do whatever technique it is you use to control for mites, the only way you'll know whether it needs doing is to do a mite count. Now, again, after the years that I've been in beekeeping, I feel pretty good about knowing how many times a hive has had a brood break. Um, That can be because I know the hive swarmed, or it can be because I know I did a split that allowed them to go through the absolute from scratch process. And I had a listener, actually one of the podcast angels, Michael, who I thank every day, to ask, talk about a brood break. And I really hadn't planned to talk about this today, but I'll start. And that is, so when I refer to a brood break. That means a time in the hive when there's pretty much no brood in there. Mites produce under the cappings of capped brood. So when the hive goes through a normal or what what would you say, (laughs) an instigated normal process that does that, then they get a break. And for that time that there's no capped brood, then all the mites are out on the bees. And I think that used to be called phoretic. There's some technicalities in that. I've also been told and read very clearly that we used to think that when the mites were out kind of riding around on the bees like ticks, that they weren't doing much of anything, but they actually are. They're actually sucking on the fat bodies of the of the bees, which is their the, the equivalent of the bee's liver. So if you imagine a tick the size of a cheeseburger sucking on your liver, <laughs> you could it's not great for your health. Let's just leave it at that. So when the mites are out riding around on the bees, on one hand, the only upside of that is that they are not actively reproducing. So to get a brood break, that would be the kind of thing where either they've just swarmed And if they've swarmed naturally, they're going to get a brood break because the bees left behind have been left with just a cell. They've been left with a queen cell, probably a capped queen cell. And at that moment, the clock starts running on that requeening process. Well, the natural bee process, the way it works is by the time that new baby queen, Lord willing, gets out there, gets mated, comes back, lays, and then the the days go by before that brood is capped. 
in all that time there all the capped brood pretty much all the capped brood in the hive will have emerged and so during that window it's a really very magical window and if you happen to use a mite treatment like oxalic one of the organic uh, treatments oxalic acid um, i believe that is the time you have this magic window like for example when you capture a swarm that there's no brood in that hive and so it is a great time if you use that to do that mite treatment because it will knock almost all the mites off of those adult bees and then when they start the brood nest then they start it in a good position because they don't have a bunch of mites and as you also know when the mites are out riding around on the bees once they start the brood and just before they cap that first batch of brood nearly all of those mites are going to jump in there and sometimes that can just kill that frame of brood, which is not actually a bad thing. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of the, on the scale of bad to worse. That's not a bad thing in the sense that those mites then die. But that is not um, a way. <laughs> it does not work well enough to use that as your mite control. So I, with all my heart, ask you to just keep an eye on what is going on with your mites. And even if you are in that stage of your beekeeping career where you're like, well, I'm just going to see what happens or I believe that this will work. If you're going to try any of that, just do your mite counts so that you'll know, so that you'll have that data point to go, wow, okay, you know, this hive that had that mite count, they are now dead. While there's this hive that had this really low mite count, they're going strong. So it helps you to make decisions. Okay, I'll, I'll get off that soapbox because it's a peculiar position that I'm in because I don't actually use any chemicals on my bees. And I've been able to do that successfully since 2010 and have more and more bees every year and not have to buy bees. But I put in the work as my as my friend, the queen rearer, Michelle of Moral Bees, said in a presentation recently, and I just loved how she said it. She said, you know, one of the best things and the strongest things that a new bee beekeeper can do for their bees is put in the work. And this is where you are actually using skills. You're not just having bees and admiring them out in their boxes, although Lord knows I do that too. In fact, my favorite way to do that is with a glass of wine at sunset, but that's another story. And uh, But if you put in the work of caring for your bees, and part of caring for them is knowing what is going on. Okay, so enough of that. But anyway, so this is the time of year. It is getting to be, at least around here, a kind of last call to find out what the mites are doing in your hives. It is not a question of if you have mites. It's a question of how many mites do you have. So what's about to go on in your hives now is we've reached the, the peak, at least in our area, we've reached the peak of bee population. Your hives are as big as probably, <laughs> depending on where you are, of course, but at least around here, those hives are as big as they're going to get in terms of bee population. And so what happens is as the queen, now that we're past solstice, the light is starting to shorten, the queen is going to start cutting back on laying. Part of that is by hive decision, and part of it is they probably have a lot less space because ideally your hive is pretty full of honey or nectar by now. So that compresses the brood nest. She, she's cutting back on laying, and what that means is as the bees naturally die off, hopefully naturally die off, there are more mites per bee. And this is where we get into problem because it's, it's yes, the mites are a problem, but it's the viruses that the mites carry that are going to kill your bees, mostly. It's just like, you know, we can, we might can 
you know, unfortunately, it's like a dog uh, could have quite a few ticks and not die from having the ticks on them, even though they would be miserable. But they can die from the, the diseases that ticks carry. And with bees, it's much worse because they have a whole set of viruses that very much kill bees and they're spread around by those mites. So that's what the big deal is, even for people who um, only use organic treatments or only use mechanical procedures like I do to control the mites, it's they're still entering the dan- the high danger zone is late summer because the mites are also at their peak population, but they don't need to stop. They can just keep on exponentially growing while the bee population is reducing. And that is the unfortunate mathematical combination that can kill bees in the summer. And you definitely don't want that to happen because they've got enough challenge coming up in the winter. So you want to get them through. So please do whatever it is you do to find out what you need to do and then do it. Uh, Put in the work, as Michelle says. So preventing robbing is definitely a seasonal thing that we'll be doing. Keeping an eye on just how the bees are doing, deciding how much honey, uh, if any, you're able to take. Now, folks with new bees, remember that if you fed them sugar, water, or syrup while they had honey supers on, that's not really honey. It's just sugar water syrup (laughs) dehydrated. So just keep in mind that if you're new, yes, you probably needed to feed your bees to get them going, but it also affects the honey that you get. So don't be mistaken. If you have a ton of honey in there, that might not all be honey. You can, if you have put a super on after you stopped feeding, then mostly that's going to be honey. Could have some sugar in it because the bees really, they do move nectar around as they, as they need to, but that's mostly honey, we hope. And then, of course, uh, preparing and addressing the mite situation is going to be very seasonally appropriate. But let me wrap back around to the brood break thing. The brood break is my primary technique for limiting mites. It's the primary technique. The primary ingredient, in my opinion, is good, strong, genetically strong bees that have been selected over generation after generation of bees to deal with their mites. There are genetic lines that are just much better at getting the mites off themselves, at opening up capped larvae that have mites and throwing them out, of opening the caps off the larvae with mites in there to mess up the humidity levels and that messes up the mite reproduction. All these genetic characteristics of good bees it really matters. And so what I'm doing, I I don't think I could do it with if I just went out and bought some packages of a commercial package because those bees have been selected generation after generation for just the ability to make a bunch of bees because that's what that's what that business is selecting for and who 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 would blame them if that's what they're doing is selling bulk bees. So by the same token, if you go and buy, let's say a survivor or a VSH queen with those good genetics, if you put her into a hive that's overloaded with mites, she's not going to be able to deal with that. Then the bees aren't going to be able to. So all of that is keeping things in balance. And for me, the brood break has been the golden technique that has allowed me to work toward bees that are more and more able in my location and in the care that I give them to handle their mites. Each one of those factors is vital to be able to do it without chemicals if you choose to accept that mission (laughs) and uh, do a lot of study, read everything, and practice a lot if you choose to accept that mission. 
So the way any hive that I know of that has overwintered come out in spring, usually that hive is one I'm going to split. Now, since I also want to get honey out of that split, then I often use the cut down split as my technique. It is not the easiest split, but in my opinion, it has the the most beneficial factors once you get to the skill level to where it doesn't completely flip you out <laughs> to do it. And also that you are familiar enough with handling the bees and knowing what is on each frame to do the division. It is a simple recipe there. I believe I have some podcasts on it. And if you look through the podcast, whichever one that is, and click through to the Patreon page that is public that everyone can access, there's a drawing of how to do it. This late in the season, depending on where you are, you may be, the the window may be closing for splits in the sense that there may not be enough drones left out there to get that queen mated. And this is completely area dependent and even the genetics of the bees dependent. My bees, I notice, tend to start throwing their drones out on the doorstep because they're done with them. <laughs> Poor little guys. But they throw them out on the, the doorstep, usually in September. And whether it's the first of September or the last of September depends a lot on the flow and the weather. With the flow of how my flow has gone, those poor guys may be hitting the doorstep the end of August. But once that happens, then there's a lot fewer drones out there to mate with. Now, if you're in a fairly populated area and um, probably there are going to be drones like some of my counterparts in other parts of Yancey County, they feel fine about getting queens mated in September. Now, of course, any if you're doing that, you have to worry about the size of them overwintering. But let me back up. Anyway, I believe the cut down split, once you feel comfortable with all those skills, is just the most delightful way to give part of the hive a brood break, make honey, get an extra hive, get queen cells. There's just a ton of things that you can do with it. And if you've practiced this before, well, let me stop and say one thing. I have had several listeners write in and go, hey, I did the cut down split, but I didn't go back and do that thing where you cut out all the extra queen cells. <laughs> and they swarmed. Uh, yes, they will definitely swarm. Because if you don't cut out all but one of the queen cells, and I shouldn't say just cut out, if you don't take out all but one of the queen cells in the big hive that you've left in the original position. They have the perfect setup to just throw giant swarms, and you don't want to do that. It really is a recipe, and it's just like if you leave the baking powder out of the recipe, it, that cake is not going to look the same as if you put it in. <laughs> I shouldn't say, I don't even know if baking powder goes in cakes. I, I don't really bake. <laughs> All the cooks right now are rolling their eyes. But anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. It, you really do have to follow all the parts of the recipe for it to work. But if you do, it is extremely practical. So that is one way I give bees a brood break. And what it does is it makes them raise a queen. Actually, most of the splits that you do that you don't then put in a mated queen or put in a virgin queen or put in a queen cell, if you do the timing so that they have, it's, at least the timing is the same as if they are having to raise a queen from an egg, then it will create the span of time without new brood being laid to give you a brood break. I know I'm doing, I'm just butchering this topic. And Michael, I will come back around to this because I'm not at my best today. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy uh, and, and all that, but I'm more scattered than usual. So that's the idea of a brood break with a split. There are other ways to do brood breaks and you can, there and 
some people use them. I don't know. It just, the splits that I do, because I'm always trying to make more bees. And I get too much, if I get too many bees, there are lots of people in my community who will happily give me cash money for them. Um, I can do all kinds of things. I can make more honey. I can make more nukes. I can sell more bees. So I, I don't ever, um, get upset at accidentally having too many hives. There's just too many things you can do with them to get too upset. Now you can run out of equipment and which is what I've done. And it's just, it's so embarrassing because it's like I'm throwing things out there in use that don't even have paint on them. And I'll regret that later. I know I've done this before, but sometimes if you're just desperate and you need space for all these bees you're making, then you do what you have to do. It ain't pretty, but it works. But what I was going to say is there are methods of brood break where you like put a cage over the queen and all these things. And I don't, I don't really, I don't really get how that is easier, but it may just be because I don't understand the process, but it might work for you. And if you're a person who does that, if you cage the queen for a brood break, uh, write me a note. Uh, you, If you're on Patreon, you can write there, or you can write on the Facebook page, which is Five Apple Farm Bees Honey and More. I'm not on Facebook very often, but I do try to check my messages now and then. Well, here it is. I have run out of time and I didn't even get to the questions, many of them. <laughs> Some of them were actually answered, even though I didn't say, hey, a listener has asked this. But a lot of the questions that the listeners have asked are not in this podcast, and I will work on them for the next one. I also want to say I have heard there are some listeners who really like it when I read articles. And if you see an article, if there's an article in a magazine or online that I could read that you maybe you found really helpful, please let me know. I would love to hear about that or a section in a book that some, you know, I might have that book or that's accessible online. I just have so many things to tell you about. If I can get back on my podcast schedule, then I just have lots of things I'm looking forward to telling you about because I will say the bees every year, I go through this stage where I'm, <laughs> it's usually in the hottest part of summer and, and I'm like, oh my God, this is so hard. Why am I doing this? Why did I pick this thing to do for fun? You know, why can't I sit under a ceiling fan on the porch and read a book during the summer on my off days instead of getting out there, you know, sweating out, <laughs> sweating out my toenails and doing all this work. But then it's just so fascinating. And every year, if you keep in this and if you really learn the things to do, there are just fascinating things that you can observe and that you can learn to spot the signs of. Like, I just love that I've gotten to the stage where like in the last podcast, you know, that you can tell which direction the bees are flying. You can tell what's blooming. Or I can tell that if they're on the clover that there's not much blooming out there. And you get to know your local nectar flows. And so you know if they're on um, basswood or if they're on tulip poplar. And you know when it starts and you know when it stops. And there's just so many natural processes that the bees are like these little barometer gauges that you can look at them and know what's going on in the natural world by seeing what's going on with your bees and vice versa. You can use the signals, the signals of what the trees are doing and what the flowers are doing to cue you to do things in your bee yard. And that kind of synchronicity, there's something so magical to it. And it, it just brings this beauty into your life that really is, in my opinion, at least for me, at least for a lot of the friends that I talk to, it is so worth the confusion, <laughs> the heartache, the sweat, the learning, the doing things wrong, the messing things up, the losing bees, the getting more bees, all that process of learning becomes worthwhile. And you have this beautiful skill that the truth is a lot of people do not have. There may be a lot of beekeepers right now, but there are not 
that many beekeepers with the depth of skill that in to me that you need to have in a, in a beekeeper. So I really challenge and ask you, I mean, heck, you know, in 2020, <laughs> why not have something really positive to focus your mind on? Learning more and more about bees and learning how to be the absolute best beekeeper of whatever kind of beekeeper it is you want to be. If you're one of the beekeepers that are more hands-off, then sharpen your observation skills. And if you are one of the beekeepers that want to be more hands-on, then learn all the weird, old-fashioned, esoteric techniques of of queen rearing and splitting and doing all the little things. It's just, it's just such a joy and such a relief when the world is kind of a crazy place. On a personal note, as a nurse, I want to thank each and every one of you who go to the, also the struggle and the inconvenience of wearing a mask. I thank you whenever I see a person in a mask in the grocery store, I silently thank them because as a nurse, I just, I can't even describe how much it, how much it means. And I know it's a pain in the butt. I've worked in them for 20 years now, (laughs) but I thank each and every one of you. Take care of yourselves. I will talk to you guys soon. I hope if I can get it together and if life will settle down for a minute, have fun with your bees, send me messages and tell me what's going on with your bees and tell me what you want to hear. I appreciate every single one of you. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.